Good morning. I want to welcome you to Memorial United Methodist. My name is Joe Cade. I'm the minister here. We're so grateful that you joined us today. As you'll see, we have a different worship order. We've added the second hymn back, and both of our worship services now begin with music. So I encourage you to get here early and to hear that music as our service begins. There's a new feature in the bulletin, in your traditional bulletin. I want you to flip over to the back. Always looking for ways to help you remember the things that we say and make them easy for you to do it. These are our five practices that make us the church that we are, what we're striving to be. Radical hospitality, passionate worship, intentional faith development, extravagant generosity, and risk-taking mission and service. We're going to make the line bolder. We kept playing with it this week and ultimately needed more time. But the reason the line's there is I want you to write something there. So take the pencil out from your pew, and I'm going to, anytime I have something, I'm going to have you share it. Then you've got that piece of paper, and you can remember it. We believe in radical hospitality. Let me tell you how that matters starting now. We're getting more people now, more people back from the fall. And of course, if every person wants to park in this parking lot, that ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen from 9 o'clock. It ain't going to happen at Sunday school. It especially ain't going to happen as the two services come together if people haven't left Sunday school. But here's the blessing. We have oceans of parking over here. Oceans of parking in the McCleskey Todd lot. And we also have the grassy lot to the right of it. If you have an SUV or a truck, like I love to do, you can park in the grass. Uh, you can go over and park in the grass. If you walk a little bit further, guests can walk a little bit less. So in um, Radical Hospitality, I want you to write parking. And I want that to always be on your mind. If you need to park close, park close. If you can possibly park a little bit further away, possibly park a little bit further away so that um, others can have those close spots, and especially guests. Intentional faith development. Children and youth start tonight at 5. We had a great start last week to our programming. They begin at 5 o'clock. Adults start at 5.45, just in the short term, because I'm teaching the classes and I have responsibilities. Ultimately, that will come back as well. But children and youth are at 5 o'clock, and adults are at 5.45. Um, I'm going to call on the scouts, and they're going to come up and uh, give us an announcement about their program. Scouts are in the um, Rock House. Mark Green is their leader, and he's on his way up. Um, they are uh, the sole... Um, residents in the Rock House and make good use of it and our relationship has um, continued to build and as the falls come back and their programming is coming back and our programming is coming back I'm going to ask Mark to speak to you. Good morning. Good morning, Memorial United Methodist Church. I appreciate Pastor Joe giving us a few moments to talk about one of the missions that you are so involved in and so liberally support us. We are fortunate enough to have a home here in which we have a cub pack, 071, and we have some brochures that we were passing out. Our cubs meet on Mondays at 6.30. Uh, no school, no scouts is a general rule. The Cub Scouts gives the scouts an opportunity to race Pinewood Derby cars. That's very fun to watch. The opportunity to get a little bit outdoors, do some hiking and some camping, and they work by their particular grade. This year the Boy Scouts have started a program called Lions for the five-year-olds. The traditional Cub program started first grade and go through the fifth grade. 
The Boy Scouts meet a little bit later at 7 o'clock at, at the same place on Monday nights, and we stress uh, learning skills for citizenship, learning skills for leadership, and teaching the Scouts about our democracy, our nation, and we, we stress the fundamentals that the Scouts teach, the 12 points of the Scout Law. The first one starts with trustworthiness, and the last one starts with being reverent. I believe as a parent and a scoutmaster that we have the second greatest program that the youth of today can be a part of. I think it's only second to a vibrant church and then we come in after that because we follow up and teach uh, in our troop. We teach the fundamentals of Christianity. We try to attend at least the service a month so our scouts have the opportunity that may be unchurched to come in and be a part of your worship. Uh, again, we are very grateful for the uh, fellowship that we have here and the support. And I do have to tell you this. I, our troop is the envy of a lot of other scoutmasters because time to time they'll visit our troop and I tell them that we have the greatest scout hut in the upstate and when they arrive and look at it they all second that. So we were very fortunate to have a nice place and being supported. We'll be at the back if you have any questions and if you need any more brochures just let us know. Thank you. Thank you Mark. My Pinewood Derby car was red with an offset gray racing stripe. It didn't place. Put more time into the look than the design. <laughs> that was sort of my deal. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mark. And thank you all for paying attention to things that are in the bulletin uh, here and going forward. Please stand and join us for our first hymn, number 158.
Let us now affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. Our first scripture lesson is Psalm 138, verses 1 through 5, on pages 973 to 974. Psalm 138 of David. I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. I will bow down toward your holy temple and will praise your name for your love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things, your name and your word. When I called, you answered me. You made me bold and stout-hearted. May all the kings of the earth praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. May they sing the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
the summer we witnessed by traveling all over the glory of your creation the beauty of your creation which inspires us and restores us and though there are elements of your earth that have to happen transitions that have to happen at times water goes too far at times the earth has to cool itself with an earthquake we find ourselves in the way of both things we experience pain and loss and fear. We pray for those who have experienced devastation in the last two weeks, but we know that there is an overwhelming response to them on a local, regional, and global level. Lord, we pray for them, and we pray for your presence among them and for them to be aware of it. We thank you for the hymns and prayers and scripture passages you've given us today for calling us all together in your house. And we ask you to take the things that pull us away, that cloud our mind away, so that we can hear your will for us this day. It's in your son's name we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's now time for our tithes and other offerings. And as the ushers come, I encourage you to pass the attendance sheet to the left if you haven't already done it. And I encourage you to look at our online giving and recurring giving option in the bulletin.
Please be seated. I invite you to turn in your hymnal to pages 184 to the text. We're going to, um, some of our Bibles have slightly different numbers, so if it's right there, uh, close, we're looking at Leviticus 19, verse 1. We're in the third week of our series of reading a book called Fear of the Other. We have copies in the back if you would like one. They're written by Bishop Will Williman. He was a local boy that grew up in Greenville at Buncombe Street, served some churches in the area, served as the dean of Duke Chapel for decades, was a bishop in North Alabama, has retired and back at Duke University. And he's going to be joining us on October 16th here in worship. I encourage you to be here. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Each of you must respect your mother and father, and you must observe my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make metal gods for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I encourage you to keep it open if you like to read along. I have a good friend in ministry that um, does a practice called Lectio Divina. It's very simple. You read, have someone read you the text with no other uh, uh, added things and you listen for what you hear. Then you take a minute, that person reads it again and you see if you hear that again and then one more time and see what it jumps out at you. It's amazing how what you're going through in your life, whatever's going on in the situation causes something else to pop out in Scripture or maybe another experience that you've had since the last time you looked at that text. Honestly, I haven't looked at Leviticus 19 a lot. I've looked at it a couple times. Seminary made me. I've used it a couple times in worship. But it's got some really interesting points for us. It's the transition between captivity and slavery in Egypt and on the way to the promised land and coming up with a number of the things that were going to set them apart by their practices. First thing I noticed when I read it was it says the entire assembly. God says get the entire assembly together. Now, that's an awful lot of people. Some of which which would believe in God and some of which, you know, were along because Aunt uh, Bertha brought me along. Or my mom brought me along. Or my grandmother brought me along. God says, I want you to get the entire group together because I'm going to tell them something important. Let's make it today. We're in the buckle of the Bible Belt here in Greer, are we not? Even given that, if tomorrow we stood at Maine and Poinsett, we picked up the first thousand people that went through, and we asked them, are you going to church somewhat regularly? What do you think that number would be? Who knows? But it wouldn't be close to the entire assembly. See, we can sort of get lost in the fact that we have a couple more people than we had before, no matter what church we're in, and think, you know what, we got some more people, there's more people out that looks good, there's more people here, there's more people there. I think we're doing pretty good. What does that text say? The entire assembly. Not so that you can say, wow, you know how many people we have now, right? We're a really big deal now. It's so that those people who weren't hearing something significant 
from God start hearing something significant. It's an incredible standard that God is calling for. Then he says, be holy because I am holy. And there's a couple of significant points there. He's not saying be as holy as he is. He's saying because I'm holy, I God, and you're in my image, and you're speaking my name out there, I want you to be holy. I want you to set yourselves apart. And then it's really significant. He says, I am. There are a number of I am's in this text. The significance of that is, throughout the Old Testament, there are people who are completely unwilling to say the name God. They don't think they're worthy. God is not to be named. Now, we've obviously moved on from that in both holy and unholy ways in which we use God's name. But the people of that time referenced God, I'm sorry, referenced God as I am, and God would reference God's self as I am, the great I am. And so anytime you see that, it's significant. It's tying it to the rest of the story. You know who else did that? Was Jesus in the New Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus would say, I am the vine. And in so doing, he was letting people know exactly where he stood and what he wanted to be. Of course, some people thought that was great. Some people thought you should never reference yourself as God. Significant to notice when we keep reading, see where I am is. So gather the entire assembly and be holy like I am. These are two tough things to do. So I'm on the conference board of ordained ministry for, our, for South Carolina, for United Methodists. So, um, you know, those that go through medical school have to pass medical boards. Those that go to law school have to pass the bar. We have something quite similar where you submit four things to a committee in, uh, uh, all over our state. A Bible study of a text that we give you. A sermon of a text that we give you. Answers to theological questions that John Wesley himself asked his new leadership. And then questions that have to do with your disciplined life. Are you okay in the rest of your life to have what it takes to be in ministry? I served on that committee for eight years. I'm going into my ninth. And of course, the committee doesn't have a reputation of warm fuzzy because we're the group that people come through in order to be credentialed, in order to be ordained. So of course people are going to be scared of that group as friendly as we try to be. But we met for the first time, our new group, we meet for four years, a four-year term, and our leader said, um, we're supposed to strive towards perfection in both grace and accountability. You know how hard that is? To have grace with people and meet them right where they are and know where they are, but also have accountability and say, but here's where you can improve. If you're already a five-star candidate, you've got more stuff that you can do to be even better. If you're right on the line of us approving you, you have more stuff that you can do better. But we love you where you are. Most organizations struggle to do both of those things. They'll have to pick one. He says, gather them and be holy. Let's look at verse 5. When you sacrifice a fellowship offering to the Lord, sacrifice it in such a way that it will be accepted on your behalf. It shall be eaten on the day you sacrifice it or on the next day. Anything left over until the third day must be burned up. What was the number? Three. Isn't that interesting? It is impure and will not be accepted. 
Whoever eats it will be held responsible because they have desecrated what is holy to the Lord. They must be cut off from their people. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another. Has sort of a Ten Commandments feel, doesn't it? Really drawing people together and calling them to a very high standard with actions that will set them apart from the people around them. This is important because they're traveling a great distance among many different types of people to the place where they want to be. You know, if I want to be in Chicago tomorrow, I can be in Chicago tomorrow. But if I wanted to gather tens of thousands of people and walk them to Chicago, it would take us a little while. And we'd have to talk about attitudes. And we'd have to talk about generosity. And we'd have to talk about being friendly and using nice words. And we'd have to talk about work ethic. You know, imagine that. Can you... I can't fathom. Sacrifices and practices involving numbers. These are things that set these people apart. This is a quote from the book, uh, our quote of the day. Bishop Willeman wrote, There is some tension in the biblical story between God's commands not to oppress the immigrant and the command to exclude and drive out strangers. This is like what I said last week. If you ever get the sense or you hear someone say, I take the Bible seriously and I know the answer to whatever the subject is, there's many subjects that are really complicated. Jesus says, I want you to welcome these people in, but there'll be another chapter, say, in uh, uh, Exodus where we're smashing those people to get where we want. There's another chapter in Joshua where we're crossing over those land and those people are done because we're coming. It's hard to understand what God's will is in a particular subject given the Bible that we read. But in the midst of those actions that set them apart, God gives them actions that will pull them together, draw the people together. Don't take everything possible from your field. Take enough. God knows the, you put the work in on the entire field. God knows that you did that. And see, that's what's so fun about being in Greer. It's the only... Set, no, I mean, uh, there'd be a couple of places. I could be in a number of different places around here. But this is the only place I've served since Seneca that there were people in the church who actually had legit farming experience and legit farming in their history. And all those images that Jesus uses that we had to fight to understand. You talk about people that plowed the land, prepared the land, put all the seeds in, now going through the gathering, and you could imagine that they would want to get the most out of their effort. He says, don't take everything. I want you to leave some for the people that come behind you so that they'll have something. Of course, if those humans said, you know what kind of work it takes to put this field together? You know what kind of work it takes to make sure that, it, that we protect it from everything that's after it? You know what kind of work it takes to, uh, uh, what's the word? Harvest? Is that the word? I have no idea. Um, pull it all in. And God said, uh, yeah. Because the field that you're doing all that work in is on the earth that I created and gave to you. Be holy. 
because I, the Lord your God, am holy. It's important to pull that out. Skip to verse 33. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. For you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. It's a complicated text. And it's a complicated practice to make sure that you help people in the way that they need to be helped in a place that they desperately, desperately are out of place. He says, you know why you want to do that? You know why you want to help those people? Because you once were those people. And you depended on their help to get here. There's something so human about forgetting the people that helped you get to this point and figuring anybody after this point, God, those people need a lot of help. It's as human as possible as the guy who had the great debt and went to the man he owed the debt to and said, I promise I'll pay you everything. I'll pay you everything in a way he never could. And as his debt was forgiven, he goes down the steps in total confidence, his posture up, his shoulders back, and he sees a friend that owes him a little bit of money, and what does he do? Chokes him. How could you owe me money? So he says, set yourself apart, but draw people in with your actions. Remember that you were once homeless, and you once needed help. And the final part, uh, which I love, uh, love them as yourself. See, we get that. We get how much we know we were right. We get how much effort we put in. We get our own holiness. We love us some us. He says, love them as much. This quote is from the podcast. Our guest was Brad Gray. He's in Charleston. Methodist minister there and he was actually quoting an article he read that day from Glennon Melton she said fear can't survive proximity when we draw near and listen and look hard at each other we fall in love because what we see in each other's eyes is ourselves isn't that powerful in some ways it doesn't translate you know like uh, I was walking Baxter two weeks ago maybe and the road um, down the street from me, I saw a snake. Uh, city boy. I'm a city boy. Have you all noticed? I wouldn't say it was big enough to frighten a man of my size. Uh, but it did. Drawing closer didn't help. It would never help. That thing being closer to me would never in a million years make me like it more or love it for what it is. Never. But there are plenty of occasions where um, a person that you didn't have much contact with and you thought was kind of weird in some sort of way, you have an extended amount of contact with them based on um, uh, a need of a family or a new committee assignment or a new school assignment, whatever it may be. You say, wow, I'll learn more about them. There's something that they have in common with me. You know what? I wish it wasn't true. I wish that they, we didn't have to see ourselves in them in order to like them. But it's true. So, um, th things you're unlikely to do, 
you're unlikely to be walking in the neighborhood or at work or at the water cooler or whatever and say, um, you know what, uh, Jesus Christ calls us to a higher standard. I'm willing to help you get to that higher standard if you're willing to come with me to worship. That's not likely something, not something you're likely to say. But how can you draw closer to people this week? Simply to understand them. And if you understand them, and if you pay attention enough here, and in your Sunday school classes, and in your studies, you're likely to exhibit Christian behavior. And so the actions and words that set you apart as a Christian will become apparent as you draw closer to that individual. Then your fear of that individual will be reduced. Then the entire assembly can be a little bit closer to being drawn together. Fear can't survive proximity. When we draw near and listen and look hard at each other, we fall in love because what we see in each other's eyes is ourselves. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please stand as you're able for number 664, our last now in peace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit go with you all. Amen.